spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs. Well, happy Aloha Friday. Thanks so much for tuning in here to Spotlight Hawaii on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. I'm Ryan Kalei Suji, live in Los Angeles, joined by Yanji Denise, who's back home in Honolulu. And Yanji, this morning, we are going to be discussing a project and really a topic that many might not know a whole lot about, but definitely have seen it if you've been on Oahu. Yeah, this is something that affects us all. We're talking today about the Alawai Canal and the watershed above it, all of the streams that flow into it, and some of the uh, issues facing that area, what could happen if uh, that canal does not repeat, receive some very necessary repairs and TLC. So joining us now is Eric Merriam, a planner with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, along with the director of the city's Department of Design and Construction, Alex Koslov. Uh, these two gentlemen have been heading up some very important important community meetings to talk about solutions to this watershed. I want to start with you, um, Eric, and tell us a little bit about how these meetings have been going and really what the aim is right now from the course perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here today. So thank you very much. Um, yeah, so the, so the meetings have gone really well. We've held a number of meetings. We had a meeting back in early November um, where we engaged the community um, on questions about, you know, what, how, what risks are they experiencing? What are the um, impacts related to flooding that they're experiencing? Um, so, so kind of the effects of flooding and how they impact the folks, as well as the opportunities that they see um, for us to reduce those risks. And so, you know, really that was in the early scoping phase of the study. And then subsequently we held a, a few meetings most recently in April um, where we've been able to kind of gather input from the community through our web-based platforms on measures or, or opportunities that they, they think that we can undertake to reduce those risks. Um, we're starting to screen those out. And so we're starting to kind of take a list of about 200 or so um, ideas and management measures that we have or, or ways that we can reduce flood risk. Um, we're starting to whittle those down. And so we're getting community input and feedback on those as well. Um, overall, um, and maybe Alice can add a little bit to this, overall, we've had great, um, we've had See, the past couple of meetings, we had over 100 individual participants. And then um, in the first meeting alone, it was well over 100 participants in just a single meeting. And so we've had great support and great engagement from the community. Um, and we're excited uh, with the opportunity to continue to do so. Uh, and Alex, if we can maybe take a step back and look at the Alawai as a whole. You know, I think a lot of people obviously know where it is. Uh, they've heard over the years of the potential issues that lie within, uh, you know, this landmark in, in Waikiki. But if you can share a little more about some of the history of the project and what really the problem is as the city continues to look for ways to mitigate any sort of future consequential damages that may happen. Yeah, uh, th thank you, Ryan. And uh, thank you, both of you, Ryan and Yunji, for giving us the opportunity to talk about this. This is a, a huge, very important uh, portion of a solution to flooding and, and, uh, and damage that, uh, that, that rain events cause. And, and let, let's take a step back and, and put in a little bit of context here. I think we all know, we've all experienced and science has supported the fact that it rains a lot more. Uh, uh, maybe, you know, we hear a lot about drought going on right now, but the rain events 
you know, clearly uh, uh, there's more events, they're more intense over a shorter period of time. Uh, that coupled with the with the the building that is going on in the, in the Alawai watershed, um, there's less places for the water to go. So more rain over a shorter period of time, no place for the water to go. It all drains down, you know, in a very simplistic manner, uh, drains down through the streams and and into bigger streams and into into, into ditches and culverts and into the Alawai. Uh, and uh, we've experienced as you've uh, as recently as the Kona Low in in December that it doesn't take much for the water to not be able to empty out in the ocean. Uh, and where it will go is it'll go into people's neighborhoods. And this is the issue. So without this project and without other solutions, the potentially catastrophic flood that will come from a, an intense rain event uh, will damage commercial property, personal property, could, it, could endanger lives. Uh, disrupt transportation, uh, displace the public. There's 200,000 people living in the Alawai watershed. And, and at the end of the day, the, the severe economic and personal consequences associated with the, the lack of protection, the lack of a solution for protection is, uh, is quite devastating. And that's the reason for this project. And, and Alex, just to follow up on that, from the city's perspective, you know, we've heard with the Alawite that there are issues, you know, with bacteria, with pollution and trash, and of course the drainage issue that you mentioned there. What do you see as the most pressing concern uh, for, for the Alawai right now? Well, the Alawai Canal itself really isn't uh, designed to, it's, 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 it's a, basically a, a drainage ditch. It is, uh, it needs to be improved to be able to have the capacity to either evacuate the water from this catastrophic flood, potentially catastrophic flood, or somehow be able to manage to uh, to deal with the water that that will be held upstream of that and then emptied over a period of time. So I think that the issue is much greater than just the Alawai. It is all the streams upstream of that, um, stream maintenance, stream condition, uh, uh, and 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 a holistic solution of how we're going to solve this. And that's not just simply about the Alawai Canal. And Eric, if you can maybe share about what are some of the efforts that have happened recently? Uh, we know that the dredging has, uh, that dredging project was something that has been going on for a few years now. Um, but what are some of the other efforts that are currently taking place right now? And what are you guys finding through, um, you know, these efforts? Well, so our study um, is very specific in terms of what we're looking at. You're, you're correct in that there are ongoing and recent efforts um, to address some of the issues, including ongoing maintenance dredging of the Alawai Canal. Um, all of those activities we do incorporate into our analyses, and so, so they will be incorporated into how we consider flood risk and, and how we consider flood risk may change as we move forward in time. Um, our study is, is specifically looking at um, flood risk management, and the way that the Army Corps of Engineers defines flood risk as flooding originating from a riverine source, so a, you know, a stream channel. Um, and so that's really what we are looking at. We are looking at opportunities to reduce riverine flood risk throughout the entire watershed. As, as Alex mentioned, um, we're not just considering the canal, we're considering uh, the Makiki, the Manoa, and the Palolo streams and the valleys um, that drain those streams. And so we are looking at opportunities within those um, kind of smaller headwater watersheds, including ways, as Alex mentioned, to hold water back. So can we utilize existing green spaces, say, as a detention facility to hold water back and reduce peak flows downstream. Um, all of these actions that we take further up in the watershed um, ultimately can improve um, or reduce flood risk downstream along the canal. And so 
So we do take into consideration ongoing actions, but again, we are focused on what we can do in the future while taking all of those other activities into consideration. You know, I, Eric, I want to follow up uh, just to ask whose responsibility and authority is this? I know the two of that you and your agency and the city are working in conjunction, but at the end of the day, who's responsible uh, to actually do the work and who's responsible to pay for it? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, the Army Corps of Engineers received um, funding from the federal government, obviously, to conduct this study. This study is being executed at 100% federal cost, um, but we operate with our non-federal partner, who is the city and county of Honolulu, who Alex is representing today. Um, and so, so we have been working lockstep together to engage in this study. Once the study is completed, you know, ultimately we will hopefully end in a recommendation for reducing flood risk that will be some type of project. We, again, we don't know what that project will be, um, but when we have a recommendation, ultimately that recommendation will need to be um, authorized by the federal government, um, appropriated or funded by the federal government, and ultimately it will be implemented at a cost of, so it'll be kind of a joint execution. So 65% of that cost will be, will come from the federal government and the 35 will come from the non-federal sponsor. And, and Alex, to follow up on that, you know, when you think about that percentage that the city will have to overall co uh, cover in costs, um, how is that moving forward uh, factored into any budget issues? I mean, you know, when you think about the long term uh, impact of this project, uh, how is the city maybe preparing for that cost? Well, we, we don't know what the cost is going to be, but we know there's going to be some cost uh, and it will be relatively, uh, I'm not going to say significant, it will be part of a budget process that will go on. Probably we'll start talking about it in the FY24 budget. We're just finishing the FY23 budget. So a year from now in the FY24 budget, 25 budget, 26 budget, we'll be talking about where this money will come from. Um, and, and just to, to reiterate what, what Eric has said, we are the non-federal sponsor um, to the federal portion of the, to the federal project. But it's, 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 it's more than just a, a the, the, the partnership is really robust. Uh, the, the, the city and the county is engaged in, in, to Eric's terms, lockstep with the federal government, with the Corps of Engineers. I'm a former Corps of Engineer officer. Uh, to, to help the, uh, the Corps of Engineers come up with the right answer. Uh, to come up with what the city thinks and needs and, and is implementable to us uh, with in conjunction with all the other things that we continue to do uh, in the watershed and outside the watershed. So this is not just a, a silent partner sitting off to the side. We are engaged uh, weekly, daily almost with this project as the process goes on. Alex, you know, Eric talked about some of those solutions upstream, perhaps retaining some of the water before it flows down the mountain. But one of the things that caught my eye when I was reading about these public meetings in the paper was this idea of a secondary outlet. I know it's early days and you were combing through, you know, more than 200 suggestions, but can you tell us a little bit about what that proposal could be and what that might look like? Well, I've, I've seen the advertisements on on, on prime time uh, with with the uh, with the set with a second outlet. Uh, I, uh, from what I from what I recall, the Alawai was may have been originally designed with a second outlet a long time ago, far away. Um, I don't think we are far enough in the process, and Eric maybe can can elaborate a little bit about what this could possibly look like. It's not off the table. Uh, it's it's one of the things that is that that, is, that may be considered at at some point. Um, uh, and I'm wondering if, if I, I want to tip my hat a little bit to Eric, see if he can maybe elaborate on what this what this can look like going forward. 
Yeah, Matt, I'm absolutely happy to talk about that. And, and you're right that we are in early days and essentially there, you know, most things are still on the table. Um, so in terms of what a second outlet could look like um, if it were implemented, um, you know, you, I think some of the some of the advertisements, as Alex mentioned on, on the television, um, show a, a full, you know, wide open, open channel out to the out to the ocean on the other side of the canal. Um, so that's one option. Right. There are other opportunities too to kind of obtain a similar result um, without something that might be so, um, I don't want to say intrusive, but have such a large footprint on the ground. So there are existing storm sewers or existing, um, uh, you know, sewer system. I don't want, not, sewer is not the right word, existing storm systems under the ground that we could tap into, right? To, to kind of leverage in a similar way. Um, perhaps those systems could uh, evacuate water from the canal only during these high flood events. And so, um, perhaps, you know, instead of having water in, like, you know, being let out of that second outlet 100% of the time, it would only happen during these high flow events. Uh, the only other thing I do want to mention, and I think it's important here is, um, you know, when we conduct these studies, we're not only considering the engineering solutions and how it might impact flood risk, but we're also considering how these types of solutions may impact things like the environment. So when you start talking about um, releasing water out into the ocean, um, you know, you start, you know, getting into environmental considerations as well. And so how a second outlet would impact the ocean and in those resources is, is obviously being considered by our team. And so, again, we're trying to look at solutions that might kind of result in a similar um, risk reduction as a wide open second outlet um, through utilizing existing infrastructure, again, in, in ways that might not have been considered before. And just to be clear, when we talk about a second outlet, so, so that the viewers understand if you haven't you know, read any of the studies or seen, seen these advertisements, we're talking about essentially creating another branch of the canal that would go through sort of the area from what I understand of Kapilani Park and out to that side of, of Diamond Head, basically. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, that is one one option. Um, that's that's one way that, that such an outlet could be constructed. Again, you could also if, if you're fully underground, um, there would be no footprint on the ground. And so there would be no necessarily impact to any of the parks or resources that are existing there now. Um, there, I also want to note, too, that, um, again, we're taking the approach of kind of starting in the headwaters. Right. Because if you can address water in the headwaters, you know, further upstream in the Makiki, Manoa and Palolo valleys, and then the amount of water that you have to address when you get further down along the canal is less. And so the, you know, the infrastructure or the actions that you have to take further in the watershed down along the canal might be less, right? They might be um, less intrusive or invasive. And so, again, if we can address or deal with water further up, what we have to do down um, towards the canal may be less and less impactful to the communities down there as well. And Eric, just to follow up, I know you had mentioned that you receive over 200 different ideas and recommendations through these community meetings. Uh, have there been any other suggestions or thoughts that have come through this process that you folks are looking at or considering? I mean, I'm not saying you need to go through all 200, obviously, uh, but if there is any that, um, you know, maybe you're looking at a little more seriously uh, beyond what you've already mentioned. Yeah, so I guess um, we got how much time do we have? Left? Yeah, exactly. I'm just um, so. So, yeah, I think, you know, just broadly speaking, I can kind of put them in large bins. Um, so one of the one type of measure that we're actively considering throughout the watershed, and I alluded to it earlier, um, is utilizing existing green space. So some of the, the parks, um, so the Manoa Valley District Park and, and similar parks and other watersheds, um, can we use those green spaces as detention or storage only during these high flow events? 
um, we would be able to maintain the utilization of those parks. Um, and, and so we would not lose kind of how they're being, uh, how they're functioning now would still be the same. We would just be kind of a secondary use of those parks um, only during high flow events. So that's one. And so again, you can think of the, you know, the parks in the Palolo Valley, um, the Makiki, the Manoa, as well as, you know, the, the Alawai Golf Course. Um, it is a large open green space that we could leverage in a similar way, as well as some of the other um, parks along the canal. Um, so that's one option. Another option are, you know, we call them bypasses or diversion channel or really bypasses, right? Can we take water either from further up in the watershed or even down along the canal and kind of just divert it away from the canal itself? And so getting it, you know, getting it out to the ocean before it ever hits the canal. And so the amount of water that the canal has to deal with is less at that point. Um, there, so those are some what we call structural measures or measures that kind of change the way that, that water floods areas. We also are considering what we call non-structural measures. Um, so these are things like elevating homes, um, you know, raising homes up out of the floodwaters, floodproofing businesses. You can, you know, floodproof walls, right? So there are ways that we can kind of reduce risks to the communities without necessarily um, structural means. We're also considering what we call natural and nature-based approaches. I know these are these are extremely um, the communities are extremely interested in, in these uh, what we call natural and nature-based measures. And it's kind of ways that we might be able to kind of mimic nature or natural processes to reducing flood risks. So these can be things like creating wetlands, um, reforestation or, or you know, um, reestablishment of more native um, species in terms of trees up in the headwaters. And, and that might be able to reduce risk downstream either through kind of reduced debris in the channel, like um, you know, trees falling in, um, as well as kind of increased, uh, you know, what they call evapotranspiration or, you know, those trees might be able to suck up more water out of the ground before it ever reaches the stream. And so, so we are considering a wide range of those measures and they're either structural, non-structural or natural and nature-based. And, and, you know, most of those are still on the table. Alex, I want to get your input on this idea that we could capture some of the water and perhaps potentially use it on the, you know, as, as we're dealing with too much water in one area, we've had multiple conversations on this program. And of course, he's been out elsewhere. We're talking about Ernie Lau from the Board of Water Supply asking everybody to reduce their water consumption by at least 10% because of the impact of the Red Hill situation. Do you think there's a way for the city to actually turn around and use some of this water? Um, is that too sort of like complicated, if you will, to capture? and reuse that water? Or what are your thoughts about sort of taking one problem and, and kind of helping it with, with the other one? That, uh, that's, a, that's a great question. And, and the, the, uh, the context of that question is that it's not just Ernie Lau and the Board of Water Supply. There are other departments, for instance, CCSR, uh, Climate Change, Sustainability, and Resiliency, uh, that, 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 that has a say or has, a, has ideas of how we can leverage this particular project into other initiatives that the city is doing. Um, it, it's, it's what you're saying is a great idea. We, we're considering it. We'll, if we can do it, we will. Um, I can't tell you how exactly mechanically we would, we would accomplish that, but I don't think anything's too hard at this point. Um, and, uh, and there's a lot of people sitting at this table, a lot of people much smarter than I am coming up with some great ideas, both in terms of the public and the community and their particular neighborhoods, the city and what their particular initiatives could be. Uh, and, and this is actually a lot of people and a lot of partners trying to figure out what the right answer is here. 
Alex, I'm wondering if you can share a little more of what you've heard from the community about this whole process in, as a whole. Uh, obviously, you know, there are people who live along these areas who are concerned. They often see these rising waters during these heavy rains and they, you know, have good reason to be concerned. Uh, you know, how is the city managing sort of those who live along this canal and, and recognizing the impact that it could have to these homeowners and those who have property along this line? Yeah, great question. I'll answer two different ways. Um, the input that we're getting from the public is very, very specific. It is talking about specific bridges, specific intersections, giving examples of, of floods in the past. And that's what really what we want. We want to hear from the particular neighbors and the particular public that have lived these particular disasters of the past. And, and they're all listed in that, uh, in that tracker on the, on, the, on the website. We want that information. And I think we've gotten quite quite a bit of it from the neighborhood. There are people from Manoa that are talking about the Manoa floods. There are people around the canal that are living, uh, that are that are speaking to us specifically about what happened in their particular neighborhood. Uh, that, those are the kinds of conversations that we've been having um, with in, in the public meetings and uh, and continue to do so. And, um, uh, and this is where I, I kind of put in a plug for how the public can continue to input. There is a, we have this website, www. Uh, honolulu.gov slash alawai, which is an incredibly robust website that has, and I know everybody always says, go to the website, go to the website. Well, this is this is a website that actually kind of works. Uh, we have an ability for the public to continue to provide input. Uh, we record that input. That input is, is made public on the website that other people can take a look at and either leverage from those ideas or embellish them or add them or or comment on them. Uh, we have uh, dozens of FAQs uh, on that website, and we have recordings of all the meetings that we've had, that we've talked to, uh, and uh, and the public can continue to add to the to, to the discussion. Eric, let's talk about timeline and next steps. Alex mentioned that the website is still gathering information that people can still be part of the conversation. Uh, now that you have those 200 plus ideas and perhaps after this program more flowing in, uh, what happens next and, and sort of what is the time frame for, you know, from when you take these ideas to when you actually submit some proposals and potentially actually do some work? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as, as I mentioned earlier, we are in the process of kind of taking those 200 plus management measures and um, kind of distilling those down to a smaller number, you know, running, using our technical tools to analyze which ones work, which ones might not work, um, how they might kind of work together. And so we're in the process of doing that now. Um, the next step is to take those management measures and then combine them into a series of what we call alternatives um, that holistically reduce flood risk um, throughout the entire watershed, kind of as a system, right? So it might be a measure, a couple of measures in each of the sub-basins, the Makiki, the Manoa, the Pololo, and some measures down along the canal. Um, we'll have, you know, a handful or so of those types of, of alternatives, um, probably about the, the July timeframe, um, which is the next time that we anticipate um, getting in front of the communities and having another public, a series of public engagement meetings. Um, at those meetings in July, we're going to come um, prepared with kind of those series of alternatives and we're going to you know pitch those to the communities and ask for their input and feedback um, you know ideas or, or things that we might have not considered some secondary impacts of those alternatives that we might not have considered um, so we want to get the feedback and input on those alternatives um, once we do that after july we're really looking um, to have a draft report 
finalized about the October, November timeframe. So at that point, um, we will have evaluated and compared all of the different alternatives that, that we kind of spoke to the communities about. And we will have selected what we think to be um, the likely recommendation moving from the study. And again, that will be in that draft report in about the October, November timeframe, at which point um, that re report will go out for public comment and you know comment by other state and federal agencies. Um, ultimately, we expect to have a final report um, completed about uh, the March of, of 2023 timeframe with the study being completed in June of 2023. But again, kind of the next big touch point is July in those public meetings. And then with the draft report sometime in, in the October timeframe. Alex, as we close this conversation, uh, I want to just kind of circle back around to just speak on the you know severity of this potential issue. Uh, you know, you'd mentioned the fact that these catastrophic floods and, and we saw it firsthand, as you mentioned, in, in December with that Konoloa. I actually was in Waikiki during that time when the rain was happening, and it was just amazing to see how quickly uh, things in that area flooded. And when you think about the fact that that was sort of a short uh, period of time where we had rain and, and the amount of water that was able to uh, get into that area, uh, you know, you have to think about what could have been and, and what's down the path. Uh, as we close out here, your thoughts on just how important this is to the city and the issue moving forward. Well, th thanks for the opportunity to, to talk to you today. That that Kona Low, just to put it into context, in a very limited uh, manner, the number that, that uh, was calculated, that was a five-year storm. Five-year storm. R relatively, if you were there, it wasn't minor when you were there, but you know, rel relatively small compared to what could happen. Uh, and the, that's the kind of the context of this whole entire project. If you look in, in, in history, you look at, 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 at uh, infrastructure disasters anywhere, whether it's a building collapse or a bridge collapse or a mall collapse or a flood or, or whatever, there's one common thing in all those situations. And that's that it was that somebody knew about it. Somebody said that it needed to be done. And why didn't somebody do something sooner? Uh, and this is the position that we're in right now. And if we and we feel the city, and this is why we are so involved in this, is that this is our responsibility to solve. It is our watch. We have to do this project. So when the uh, the, the big rains come, uh, we have the best chance to mitigate or minimize the impact of it later on. Yeah, Eric, I would ask you to sort of close out with the same thought. Why is this an urgent matter right now? Yeah, you know, I think just to, to tack on what Alex was saying, um, you know, we've, we can talk about historic and, and current flood risk, but I think it's also to keep in perspective how we expect that risk to change moving forward. And we understand that sea levels are rising and we understand that the climate is changing. And so I think that it's, it's vital um, to consider and act now to ensure resiliency into the future. Right. These, these, these problems, and these issues are not going to go away. Um, we have the resources now to, to start addressing the problem. So let's do it in a holistic way that does look kind of into the future. And before we leave, uh, Alex, one more time, if people are watching and they want to get to that website, if you want to just do one last plug for anyone else that may have any other thoughts uh, or, or suggestions moving forward. Great. Uh, thanks. Uh, so the, uh, the website is www.honolulu.gov slash uh, very robust, very interesting uh, website. Uh, please take a look at it. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, Alex Koslov, the director of the city's Department of Design and Construction, and Eric Merriam, a planner with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. We very much appreciate your, both of your time this morning, and we will hope to talk to you again, perhaps sometime around that July time period when you're making that presentation to the community.
Thank you. Thank you both so much. Well, Ryan, that was really interesting to get that update and to really see where they are in this process. When you think about all of the options that they're going to going through more than 200 plus, there are also, uh, you know, it's a big task, but there's also sounds like there's a lot of opportunity there. The idea that we could recapture some of that water upstream, perhaps change some of the native ecology to support more native species here in Hawaii and also reuse some of that water because we know that we are facing droughts and shortages and of course the impact of the Red Hill situation. So a lot to unpack there, but you heard the urgency there at the end that we have to do something because the climate is changing and uh, the weather will impact us whether we like it or not. Yeah. And we heard from, you know, city officials saying that, uh, you know, when Alex was mentioning that they are really reaching out to the community. They want to hear from those who have experienced and lived through those floods, who live along those lines, who have been impacted, because ultimately that information is going to help them further develop this plan uh, that will help to shore up the issue as a whole. Uh, and, and you heard a number of different suggestions from things that will happen upstream to um, them looking at other options, whether it be on the Alawai Canal, going through a second output, if you will, uh, but also taking everything into consideration, use, utilizing green spaces as well. All of these things will have to come into consideration, again, uh, as they look to different ways and for the public input, uh, again, to help to tackle this problem really together as a community. Yeah, we appreciate the city and the uh, Army Corps of Engineers coming on this morning, and we definitely will revisit that and invite them on again later in the summer uh, to see when you know they've gone through those 200 and what ideas have risen to the top. Uh, on Monday, we're going to be talking about another very major public works project, Ryan, and that is rail. Yeah, a lot going on, of course, with Honolulu Rail and getting an update. We have not talked to Laurie Kahikina since uh, you know, that announcement when recommendation was made by Mayor Blangiardi about ending the line a little earlier for now uh, at Civic Center in Kaka'ako. So want to hear from her about where they stand with that, what the federal government is saying, and also where they are in the progress. They have made a, a statement and commitment that they would like to see uh, rail operational by the end of this year. Uh, so getting an update on where they are with that progress, always a lot to talk about uh, with Laurie Kahihina and Hart. Yeah, so we'll see you right back here on Monday at 1030. Until then, stay safe. Aloha. Aloha. Take care. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs.